Welcome in, folks. This is Double T, and I'd like to welcome in everybody from here and around the globe to the Double T Podcast Network. Today, we have an extremely special guest on our show, and let me just give you a little background on him. This gentleman started out owning a submarine and beach shack. He then became a disco producer. He produced comedy shows, television shows, concerts, but eventually fulfilled a lifelong dream and opened up a comedy club called Last Unlimited and turned it into a successful chain of comedy clubs, producing shows for the likes of Dana Carvey, Bob Saget, Jay Leno, and Jerry Seinfeld. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce our very special guest, Mr. Scott Edwards. Scott, welcome in. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Great to be on your show, Tony. Thanks so much for uh, reaching out. Scott, it's a pleasure to have you on the Double P Podcast Network. And one of the first things that I want to talk to you about is the comics that you've worked with over the years. Tell me one thing. First and foremost, I'm curious, who is the funniest comic you've ever worked with? Well, that's a good question, Tony. I've actually had the pleasure of working with uh, several famous and not-so-famous comics, all of which were uh, very funny. But um, And it would be wrong to pick the best when you've had Robin Williams on your stage, Jay Leno, uh, Ray Romano, uh, Paula Poundstone. It's difficult to pick just one. However, uh, I do think that one of my personal favorites, at least in the top five, would be Larry Miller. And everybody in your audience should Google him because as soon as you see, you go, oh, that guy. Because I know Larry Miller very well. Yeah, he's been an actor and done over 100 TV shows and movies. Very, very talented actor. But before his acting career, he was one of the funniest stand-up comics in the business. And I had the pleasure to work with him for many years. So Google Larry Miller and uh, check him out. He's got some great material. You know, it's kind of interesting because when when you look at stand-up comedians, I... I've been a stand-up fan for many, many years, and there's so many different styles of stand-up comedy, and some of the ones that really stood out in in my mind that, like, Lenny Bruce was a groundbreaker as far as I was concerned, Um, but I think that two of the most unique stand-up comics of my era were Robin Williams, and Eddie Murphy. What's your opinion? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I never had a chance to work with uh, Eddie Murphy, but uh, definitely uh, one of those guys that uh, brought stand-up comedy into the forefront in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. And then, um, of course, uh, Robin Williams was uh, a man in his own mission that nobody could compete with, Uh, high-energy, uh, fast, um, almost machine gun-like uh, presentation of material that was just hilarious. And what happened was he connected with the audience, but his stage energy 
was shared with the audience and so everybody's adrenaline was up everybody's energy was up and it just made everything he did that much funnier uh, i had the pleasure of having uh, robin on my stage twice and he uh, was an incredible entertainer what was amazing though and a lot of people don't realize that off stage he was actually pretty shy and quiet very polite very reserved and not at all the character he brought on stage have you ever worked with steve martin no but funny story i was in hollywood and the movie the jerk had just come out and we went to it and we came out of the movie and in disguise incognito uh steve martin was standing right next to us and he had gone to the same uh showing of the movie as we had to kind of see how it went uh we didn't want to uh break his disguise so we didn't say anything but uh that's my my brush with fame right there is that I stood on a street corner with Steve Martin. <laughs> That's interesting. In fact, but going back to Robin Williams, you know, I, I thought, you know, from a comedic standpoint, she had one of the most fascinating minds. I, I never saw a mind react situationally in an audience the way his did. He, he was just on a different plane than every any other comic that I ever saw. Yeah, I, go ahead. Go ahead. I, no, was no, just gonna say, I was just going to say what made him so amazing was that everybody's got a file cabinet in their brain and somebody brings up a topic, whether it's sports or politics or, or crossing the street, and everybody can go to that file and pull up an experience or a story about it. They, they connect with it, but it takes a normal human uh, a few uh, seconds maybe to do that. Robin Williams' file was so vast and so quick that in a microsecond, he could pull up jokes and information and funny things to say about almost anything that happened at almost any time. He was definitely uh, very creative and, and one of a kind. Yeah, and, and, and another thing about Robin, and, and, and kind of why I asked you about Steve Martin, too, those are two of the like, funniest guys. Uh, and I might throw Billy Crystal into this group also that transcended into acting very well. Comedians that turned actors. Right, right. And, and it is kind of a natural progression for some people. There are several comics that I know that just stayed with comedy and had great careers. And there's others that uh, they used comedy as a stepping stone into other areas of show business. Some became directors and producers. Others became writers. Many of them actually became writers for TV and movies. But some uh, went into acting and were able to make a great second career uh, acting based on what they learned on stage as stand-up comics. I gotta say, stand-up comedy's gotta be a tough business. Oh, it's one of the hardest. I mean, you're in a different place every night or every week. You have a different audience, and the audience has changed from a, you know, Wednesday night eight o'clock show is totally different from a. Friday night late show to a Saturday eight o'clock show. I mean, they're all different. There's a different energy level, different uh, soberness level. <laughs> you know, it's. Thanks. 
and, and there's got to be nights that, like, you can take a set and go out and, and it kills. And and then you can go out and take that same set and just get your ass kicked. Right. And again, it's a combination of the audience and also the entertainers, it, you know, keeping that consistency and being able to present the material in a way that each and uh, different audience can connect to it. So reading the room, obviously, is... Paramount. It's paramount. Yeah, you have to be able to understand your audience. Who do you think was one of the best at reading the room? Well, again, um, I owned a chain of comedy clubs. We did shows six nights a week for over 21 years. So I've seen, you know, literally, you know, a thousand comics and in hundreds, if not thousands of audiences. And I don't know if anyone in particular read an audience better than somebody else. But I think that every comic, whether you're an open micer or a paid professional headliner, has that challenge. And it's really smart of you to point it out, Tony, that it's the uniqueness of each audience that you have to speak to because the whole goal of stand-up comedy is connecting with the audience so that means the entertainer has to adapt to whatever audience is put in front of them for example stand-up comedy started back in the 50s and 60s and 70s mostly as a break between jazz bands or strippers right and so you had to um, read the room if you're working a strip club and you're going up between dancing girls that's obviously a much different audience than if you're in between jazz bands or just going up in between comics, right? It, right. it really, you you made a good point. Stand-up comedy is one of the toughest entertainment formats. For example, if you're a professional musician or professional actor, you have a script, you go out, the audience knows what to expect, you know what to expect, and even though the singers can put maybe a different inflection on a song, the words don't change, the music doesn't change. It's the same right. thing, it's repetitive. Stand-up comedy, every seven seconds, you should be having a different moment with the audience. It's a constant changing connection. Exactly. Right, I mean, you, you've probably seen, I mean, you've produced thousands of shows. You must have seen hundreds of yeah, I mean, I've been very blessed. I opened uh, my club in August of 1980, the very first opening act, uh, getting paid $150. His first road gig out of his hometown of Phoenix, Arizona, was none other than Gary Shandling, who went on to have a great nope, career, several shows. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, an interesting side story. In 1980, uh, there was a young actor who was a star of his very first TV appearance sitcom called Bosom Buddies and he had to do a comedy set on that show and he came up to my club with uh, my good friend Bob Saget to learn about and not only Bob Saget helped him write a set but I taught him how to act on stage what to expect and where to look and how to use a microphone and that was Tom Hanks uh, Tom a, Hanks a very young actor back in 1980 and sure. what, was, what was great is he worked my club for a whole week 
And then about uh, two weeks later, we saw the set we helped him prepare on the TV show Bosom Buddies. And, uh, you know, that that really makes you feel good about what you're doing. And also, sure. you know, we didn't know Tom Hanks was going to be Tom Hanks back in 1980. So to be able to look back, yeah, to be able to look back and, and, and connect all that to the incredible actor he's become is, is really amazing. But we had Shirley Hemphill, you may not remember, but the, he was... I sure do remember Shirley Hemphill. Yeah, she was on What's Happening back in the What's 70s. What's Happening. Right? Yeah. And then uh, yeah. Charles Fleischer from uh, Roger Rabbit fame. Uh, okay. You know, uh, we've really been lucky to uh, work with a lot of them. I mentioned Bob Saget, he and his buddy Dave Couillet... And- the stars of Full House and later Fuller House um, were regulars and really helped me get the club going back in 1980. So, and I just, I just wanted to check. I know you and Bob Sack were really good friends, and I wanted to express my condolences to you on his passing. Yeah, that was uh, very unexpected. In fact, we had uh, connected just a few months back about having him on my podcast, and we were both like, "Well, he was on tour." there was plenty of time <laughs> and sadly it turned out there wasn't one never knows one never knows uh, so in, in your opinion through the years can, can you can you pick off for me like generationally uh some of your favorite stand-ups? Well, again... Like the 50s, 50s? Yeah, I mean, it's it really changes. Uh, in the 90s, there were people like Steve Bruner, who's one of the cleanest, funniest comics out there, Tim Bedore, who got a start at my club and ended up being one of the uh, regular stars on the Bob and Tom radio show. Uh, the comedy team of Mac and Jamie were uh, unique and that they went on to huge success and had their own TV show. As a comedy team, uh, Willie Tyler and Lester, uh, the comic. I remember Willie. Yeah, he was a um, regular at the club, and in having ventriloquism was a real uh, joy. In fact, I used to bring a lot of magicians and ventriloquists and, and comic musicians into the club because there was that variety of entertainment that I was always able to uh, bring something funny and different for my audiences, and I think that's what helped make my. Uh, chain of comedy clubs so successful I actually hired you um, for uh, when I was in college I was um, I, I helped per, uh, book the entertainment for the student government at the University of New Haven and uh, I booked Willie Tyler and Lester I had to pick him up at Tweed New Haven Airport and bring him to the gig and then bring him back he was a really cool guy yeah really really nice guy really uh terrific with the audiences and Lester was one of those perennial ventriloquial figures that everybody enjoyed and wasn't quite as nasty as some you know uh, ventriloquists are basically you know dual personality and um, Lester in fact I did an interview with Willie Tyler and Lester and at one point I just interviewed Lester (laughs) and it was uh, it was really fun uh, another terrific uh, actor slash uh, entertainer, uh, you may remember Harry Anderson. He was the star of Night Court. Oh, Harry, Night Court, yep. 
Yeah, and he was on Cheers as a regular. But before yes, his TV fame, he was a regular comic magician. magician wasn't he? Yeah, he's a professional magician. He liked uh, street magic, and he worked my club uh, many times before he got into his television fame. And he was uh, good with the card tricks and the, and and the shell games and stuff like that, right? Yeah, he was uh, a kind of a con artist. He played that on con. Cheers. Yeah, and it was magic and conning and. Uh, he was amazing. In fact, I went uh, shopping with him to antique stores, and we were looking for him. We found uh, the old punch boards from back in the 40s where people would pay a uh, dollar or 50 cents to punch a hole and then maybe win a prize. And back in the day, you would win, you know, a pack of cigarettes or a carton of cigarettes. Right. But, uh, uh, you know, it was really fun, and he bought one, and... He said, you know, Scott, why don't you, you know, buy five punches? He made me pay him. <laughs> I paid him $5. <laughs> and on my fourth punch, I got the grand prize on the board. And he refused to pay me the prize money, which I think was 25 bucks. And instead, he autographed the back of that punch board for me. But he was such a... A con artist, he got the money out of me and then refused to pay when I won. <laughs> All right, so let, let me ask you if this is not an out of bounds question. What's the worst experience you ever had with a comedian? Uh, if you want to talk famous people, um, one of the hardest situations as a producer I came across was a, he's pretty famous, he's a political satirist. Uh, his name's Bill Maher. He's uh, on TV a lot, especially. I know in, Bill. Yeah, over the last uh, couple decades, he's done a lot of TV. But back yeah. in the uh, 80s and 90s, he was just a stand-up comic doing political comedy. Yep. And yep. one time he was working my show. It was like a Thursday night. And Bill's really smart. And he's a funny guy. But he is a little arrogant and, and a bit of a... Uh, um, know-it-all and he was mm -hmm. out on stage and he was talking about people in congress and and lawyers and throwing out names and in situations that people in sacramento didn't need to and weren't aware of and he halfway through the show he just stopped and said you know you people are all stupid and he walked <laughs> off stage and uh um, it was a sad moment because those people paid to be entertained. They didn't know who Bill Maher was. And they didn't pay to be called stupid either. Right, right. So uh, when he got off stage, I fired his ass and sent him home. He's one of only two comics in the history, over 20-year history of my clubs, that I fired and sent home midweek, unpaid. Yeah, in my, I, I only had a year's worth experience hiring talent, but I only hired one guy that I had a problem with, uh, Richard Belzer. You ever, has Belzer ever worked for you? No, he was more of an East Coast comic and uh, got big yeah. before he had a, a need to work my room. But we crossed yeah, paths he, with him. He, 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 he was a disc jockey here in uh, New York on WNBC radio and uh, he was a stand-up comic and we booked him to do some stand-up comedy and 
I don't know. He had a hair about something, and he just re- he showed up and refused to go on stage. What? Really? Showed showed up and refused to go on stage because something wasn't to his liking, or yeah, there wasn't enough brown M and M's. I, I, you know, it's so long that it was over thirty-five years ago. I don't remember what this what this problem was, but I don't know. But he was he was just very arrogant guy. Yeah, he. he, uh, uh, It was funny. We wrote a book to help young comics called. uh, Well, it was supposed to be how to be a stand-up comic. And then Belzer came out with his own book, How to Be a Stand-Up Comic, and got on The Tonight Show with it. And what was funny was he doesn't teach anything. If you went through the book, it was all pictures of him on stage, and he was saying something stupid about you know him being on stage. And that was his book on how to be a stand-up comic. So we, we had already written our book. We just had to change the title. And our the title of our new book was called Be a Stand-Up Comic or Just Look Like One. And we actually uh, gave good advice to young comics because there, you know, everybody thought stand-up comedy was the easy path to stardom in the '80s, and it wasn't. You, you had to have uh, good writing skills, good work ethic, and uh, really good luck to get that golden ticket and become famous. But we wrote the book to try to straighten people out. You know, this is what being a stand-up comic is all about. One of the most fascinating things that I ever saw was a little documentary on Rodney Dangerfield and how he created his, and how he wrote his jokes. You ever seen that? No, but it sounds interesting. It is the most fascinating thing. Uh, Rodney's jokes are all cataloged, and Rodney had a room where he went and he wrote his jokes. And, and and his, it, I can't even explain to you how he did this, but he would work on jokes and he would go rework them and they were all on loose leaf paper and he would sit for hours writing these jokes and they are all written out on paper. And when this guy like went on to the Tonight Show, he was just rapid fire with these jokes because he had them all committed to memory. Right. And, and to watch him do the process was just mind-boggling. It was all handwritten. Right, right. And well, um, there was a couple times when Gary Shandling was working on some TV shots or he had to do a Tonight Show and he was at my club. He would get, you know, he'd do about half of his set, kind of get the audience warmed up and kind of prove he was funny. And then he stopped and he asked the audience, he goes, look, if you don't mind, I want to try out some new material. I'm going to be on The Tonight Show next week. And the audience always loved that. And yeah, yeah. And being a part of the kind of like behind the scenes. And he would read off of uh, three by five cards, ideas or jokes that he had written. And if it got a laugh, he goes, oh, well, that's a keeper. And if it didn't, he would throw it over his shoulder. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, wow. and the, the audience why do you, why loved do you have it. A, why do you have a picture of Gary Shanley dressed in women's clothing in your office? Uh, <laughs> that's a great story. So my club was in the historical 
tourist area of Sacramento called Old Sacramento, kind of an 1800s wooden sidewalks, cable, uh, cobblestone streets. And about a block away from my club was one of those portrait places where families could go in and dress up like the 1800s. And it was, uh, I guess, a slow week for Gary. And he was killing time before a show. And he went into one of those places and put on a dress and uh, and a frilly, you know, uh, Sunday brunch kind of hat and took a picture and gave it to me as a gift. And I was just so honored. I put it up on the wall. The funny end of that story is about two weeks later, Bob Saget was working my club. He saw Gary's picture. He didn't want to be outdone. So he went down and was totally decked out like an 1800s school marm. He had the gloves, the fan, and, and this big hoop dress, and got this great picture and autographed it to me as well. And the two of those pictures uh, sat side by side on my the wall of my club for years. Oh, guys, hope you still have them. Oh, yeah. No, no. Those are, are precious memories, and, and the fact that the guys not only did it for fun, but thought of me and gave them to me as a gift is very special. I'll never forget. Uh, tell me about your podcast. Let's give your podcast a little plug. Well, thanks so much, Tony. It is called Stand-Up Comedy, your host and MC. It's available on all platforms and directories. It's basically a celebration of stand-up comedy from the 80s and 90s. Every week I present some stand-up material uh, actually recorded on my TV shows, my concerts, and my stage. And then the next week, I do an interview with professional entertainers from those days where we talk about how they got into comedy, what some of their experiences and road stories are like, and then what they're up to now. And that combination of information and always done in a comedic format uh, has been pretty entertaining. And uh, if your listeners get a chance, stand-up comedy, your host and MC is definitely worth their time stand-up comedy your host and mc with scott edwards that sounds like an awesome podcast you got another listener right here because i want to start listening <laughs> to that all right Tony. i love stand-up comedy i always love stand-up comedy um ever since i was a, ever since i was a kid i used to fall asleep listening to stand-up comedy records well, it is, uh, I've been a real blessing for me. I kind of fell into it as a young man. I was 24 when I opened my first room and got a chance to work with some of the best in the business and the stories, the memories, the opportunities that comedy afforded me as a producer. Now, I'm not a comic, but I was on stage every night, every show for over 20 years. And it was one of the greatest experiences and uh, I'll always want to honor that, and the podcast gives me that opportunity. That's fantastic. Scott, I can't thank you enough for gracing uh, our airwaves and giving uh, my audience an opportunity to hear some of your stories. I thank you very much for joining us. Well, Tony, you've had some great people on. Uh, you know, you had Bill on, you had Michelle Tafoya, uh, David Page, uh, all great shows, and it was uh, just an honor to be included with them. And the Double T is a great podcast. Thanks so much, Tony. Thank you very much. And I would like to say to my audience, 
Um, I thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed our show today. And as we always say, do your due diligence. Um, hand sanitize, wash hands. Mask mandates are being lifted. That's a great thing, but stay safe out there. If you have the opportunity to do a random act of kindness for somebody, please take that opportunity, folks, because if you do a random act of kindness for somebody, the world will be a much better place to live in. This is Double T and Scott Edwards saying so long. Thanks, Tony. Bye. Bye Bye-bye now.